Hey, this is Doug Eccles. We want to welcome you to our podcast, Got Better Things for You. Matthew chapter 5, and verse number 6, and we're going to read it. Let's just read it all together right off the screen. Can we do that? Let's read it together. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, today in America, we like to blame everybody else for our problems. We like to blame everybody for our issues, but I'm going to tell you, you are responsible for the condition that you are in spiritually. It is not up to anyone else today, but it is up to you. And he said, if you get hungry and thirsty, he'd fill you. How many believe we can have revival on a Sunday morning? I mean, I believe if all the sleeping folk would wake up and all the lukewarm folk would fire up and all the depressed folk would look up and all the disgruntled folk would sweeten up and all the estranged folk would make up and all the gossipers would shut up and all the true soldiers would stand up and all the dry bones would shake up and all the tightwads would pay up and all the church would pray up, we could have revival on Sunday morning. How many believe that? These are days of revival. Lord, I'm hungry. Lift up your hands. Let's pray together. Father God, in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for the Spirit of God that is in this place. Lord, there is liberty. There is no bondage here today, but there is freedom in the name of Jesus. We ask that you do something, uh, Lord, that no man can receive credit or glory for, but that Jesus would be exalted and lifted up, that all men might be drawn unto him. Lord, those that do not know you, those that have sin in their life, those that are backslidden, make it hot in here for them today, that they would be drawn to Jesus by the convicting power of the Holy Ghost. We thank you, Lord, uh, uh, for the gifts of the Spirit that are in operation, that we may profit by their manifestation. We need the best gifts, Lord. We need the gift of faith. We need the gift of miracles and the gifts of healing in this day. In the name of Jesus, we are believing, Lord, for great and mighty things. In the name of Jesus, we pray, and everybody said, Why don't you you tell two or three people, I see great things coming your way. It's inevitable, and you can be seated, all right? I see great things coming your way. It's inevitable. Amen. Hallelujah. He said, if you are thirsty and hungry, you will be filled. And I I look around, and I know that uh, today I'm going to speak about a word that We don't use that much in our vocabulary because it's a real strong word. It means intense driving or or even uh, a feeling of conviction. And it's such a strong word. It's used between the Last Supper and Christ's death. We call it the passion. But I'm going to speak today a little bit about passion. And I can look around this room and uh, everybody in this room is passionate about something. It may be a relationship. It may be a job, it may be a a team, uh, uh, it may be a hobby, it may be a car or a house. I don't know what it is, grandkids, but we're all passionate about something. And, And I would say that's not a big problem, but when you are more passionate about the things of the world than you are the things of God, that's when it becomes a problem. And I look around the world and I, I, I go to churches that I have been 20 and 30 years, some of them, every year. And I look around and I see people that are missing now. 
And not because they went on to heaven, but, but they're not going to church. They're not in the house of God anymore. And, uh, and I wonder where those that were passionately in love with Jesus where they are, and somewhere along the line, they have talked themselves into compromising their walk with God, or maybe they become the Laodicean church that says, I have need of nothing. See, when I read Revelation in 1980, it looks different than 2021. How many know these things are coming alive right before our eyes? But I want to ask you today, have you compromised? And you think about what Jesus said. He said that many in the last days, uh, they, will, uh, uh, they will get caught up in the cares of this life. He warned us about that. And I wonder if some people have gotten caught up in the cares of this life. But I'm going to ask, where is your passion? And how is your passion for God? Let's talk about passion today. Let's look over to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17 and 18. Ephesians 5, verse 17 and 18 says, Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. I have people come to me from all over the world and say, How can I know the will of God for my life? Well, we know that it is God's will that none should perish. So it is God's will for you to be saved, your family to be saved, your neighbors to be saved, your ugly, mean boss should be saved. So that's the will of God. But he said, understand what the will of God is and be not drunk with wine where it is excess. I, I grew up Pentecostal. My grandfather was in the German Assemblies of God. My dad pastored 67 years. I heard a lot of preaching from the pulpit. You ought not be drunk with wine. Well, I take it further. I say you ought not be drunk with wine, Coors, Chivas Regal, Crown Royal, Jack Daniels, Budweiser, Bush, Jose Cuervo. I better stop there. You may think I know too many. But he said, instead, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. That is God's will for everyone that is listening today. It is God's will for you to be filled with the Spirit. Let's talk about passion. Passion, number one. Passion will give you a strong excitement about God and for God unlike others. Passion will give you a strong excitement about God and for God unlike others. See, we have a tendency to compare ourselves with other people. We say, well, I, I, you know, I, I go to church as much as they do. I mail my check in when I'm not there. I do all these things. I pray. I, I do all, all these good things. But the Bible said it's unwise to compare yourself with others. I'm not trying to keep up with Pastor Randy. I'm not trying to keep up with you. I am running this race to win. Are you understanding me? So I cannot do what he's called to do. I got to do what I am called to do. There was a man in this country that was greatly used of God when they said you couldn't have a move of God. Sounds like a day that is parallel to today, but they were saying that this man who died in 1758, that God could not move in this country. This man that God used so greatly was a man by the name of Jonathan Edwards. And Jonathan Edwards, in the time that he ministered, over 35,000 people were added to the churches that he was connected to. And people began to ask about him, what makes Jonathan Edwards different? 
they would ask his friends behind his back, what makes Jonathan Edwards different? They were talking about him, and the answer that everyone gave was simply this. He is a God-intoxicated man. Now, I don't know what people are saying about you, but I'm telling you, in a small town, they talk. They know your business before you put it on Facebook and share your business. But people are talking about you today, and what are they saying behind your back? Are they saying, there goes a man, a woman, a teenager that's intoxicated with things or with money or with position? Or are they saying, there goes a man or a woman that's intoxicated with God? I believe God can still change this world with one man, one woman, one teenager that is intoxicated for him. I believe God can change this world with somebody that's here today. Let's look to Acts chapter 6 real quick. Acts chapter 6 verse 5, And the same pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost. Everybody say, he's full of faith and the Holy Ghost. Now, I'm having you repeat because I want you to remember. He's full of faith and the Holy Ghost. Now, he preaches a real long message in Acts chapter 7. It's so long that if I read his message, some of you'd want to go home, and by the look on some of your face, some of you are already ready to go home. <laughs> but in Acts 7, he preaches a long message. Now, how many believe when the preacher preaches, he ought to get results? See, I, I didn't come from Oklahoma expecting nothing to happen because I know how your preacher preaches. He plants seed. He waters seed. So anything that happens today is part of the harvest. We work together. But I didn't come expecting no results and uh, because it's not because I'm an evangelist that I'm going to get results. It's not because he's a pastor he gets results, but it's when you uh, uh, understand the Word. The Word is seed, and the Word is the incorruptible seed, and the Word will not return void, but it will prosper in that which it is sent. I thank God for the Word. But he preaches, and let's read what he preaches, just a little bit of his sermon. Here's how he starts his sermon, Acts 7, 51. He says, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do you. Wow. Now, I've been called a hard preacher by some of my friends, but I've never called people stiff-necked and uncircumcised. I'm sure there's a PH church down the road that, that I should preach that way. Everybody say, not here, all right? <laughs> but he said, you always resist the Holy Ghost like your fathers did. And then he says, look what it says in the Word. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. He begins to get some results to his preaching. They gnashed on him with their teeth, but he being full of the Holy Ghost, we said he's full of the Holy Ghost in what? Faith looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens open, the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he knelt down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he said this, he fell asleep. He died. 
Now, what would cause a man when he gets results to his preaching? Probably not what he was looking for. But he got results to his preaching. They're running him out of town, stoning him to death, gnashing on him with their teeth. Uh, and uh, it's not a good day, but he says, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Now, what would cause a man to say that? When he's breathing his last breath, I come up with one word, passion. Passion will cause you to forgive, number two, unlike others. Passion will cause you to forgive unlike others. We said Stephen was a man full of faith in the Holy Ghost. Now look, if you're full of the Holy Ghost, faith is there. You receive the Spirit by faith, Galatians 3.2. You receive the Spirit by faith, Galatians 3.14. So if you're full of the Holy Ghost, faith is there. But I'm going to tell you, if you have faith in the Holy Ghost, the third thing is automatic. The love of God is shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Ghost, Romans 5 and 5. So I'm going to tell you, I don't know how it is here, Brother Randy, but I'm going to tell you, in my dad's church, we had a lot of liars in my dad's church. We had people say they're full of faith in the Holy Ghost. They'd lift up their hand, and, and, and yet I knew that they were uh, there was something wrong because I, I saw how they acted uh, during a business meeting. If you're full of faith in the Holy Ghost, love is there. I saw how they acted. Some people that used to sit over on that side moved to the other side because they didn't want to talk to somebody over there. How many know that speaking in tongues loses its credibility if we won't talk to one another? We had liars in my dad's church. We sang lies in that church. We used to sing. It was old school church. You remember old school church? Tis the old time religion. Next verse. Make you love everybody. Well, I knew that was a lie. <laughs> We'd have somebody that walked in that didn't look the same, smelled different, had too much money or not enough money. I saw how people treated them. Liars. It says all liars have their place in the lake of fire. You better watch what you sing. We sang other lies. How many remember this song? Uh, Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. I knew that was a lie too. Because we have little old grannies in my dad's church been serving the Lord 40 and 50 years. We'd get somebody new right off the street saved and they could outpraise those grannies that had been serving God for 40 and 50 years. If he's sweeter every day, then no new convert ought to be able to outpraise you. You say, oh, we don't sing lies anymore. Well, how about about 10 years ago, that song we used to sing, I could sing of his love forever, as long as it's not five past 12. <laughs> I raise a hallelujah with everything, in, oh, not really everything inside of me. See, you and I are named after Christ himself. We are called Christians because we are to take on the attributes of Jesus Christ. And at the place called Calvary where he had thorns thrust into his brow, his hands and feet were nailed to the tree. For you and I, he was beaten beyond recognition. He was spit on. He was mocked. He was made fun of. He's naked for the world to see. They're humiliating him. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. 
Some of us sit here and somebody looked at us wrong and we're not going to talk to them anymore. I'm going to tell you something. We need some passion. Passion will cause you to forgive unlike others. Jeremiah 9, 1, quickly. Oh, that my head were waters and mine eyes a fountain of tears that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. Everybody say my people. I mean, understand if you don't care about your people, probably nobody else is going to. Lamentations, here's the same man in Lamentations 3, 48 through 50. Mine eye runs down with rivers of water for the destruction of the daughter of my people. Mine eye trickles down and seizes not without any intermission till the Lord looked down and behold from heaven. Jeremiah, he's praying, he's praying. He said, look, I'm not going to quit praying until the heavens are open. He said, it may seem like brass right now, but I'm going to keep praying for my people. I'm going to keep praying for a breakthrough. I'm going to keep praying until something happens. How many understand the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much? If you don't get excited about your praying, probably not much is going to happen. But passion will cause you to pray unlike others. I go to churches today and it's gotten so bad the closing prayer ought to be now I lay me down to sleep. See, we pray, we pray in church kind of like we pray over a meal. In America, when I pray over my meal, it's kind of nonchalant. Lord, bless this food. We're blessed. But when I go to Haiti, man, I pray. I'm like, in the name of Jesus, we come against any amoeba. I come against anything that might be in there, any salmonella. Is that the right word? You'll get it. But there's three kinds of prayer. Then there's the emergency prayer. You know, we cry out when we have an emergency, but then there's prayer like Jesus prayed in the garden where tears flowed. I'm going to tell you, we need to get back to that kind of praying where we're serious about our praying. We need to get back. See, God remember Cornelius by his praying and his giving. If God is going to remember America by our praying and giving, I'm going to tell you, he's almost forgotten us because we're not praying. In my dad's church, my senior year, we had five five-week revivals. There was a woman that would be in church every time the doors were open, Sister Mary. She sat on the second row with all the grandmas of my dad's church. Sister Mary is still alive. Most of those grannies had passed on 30 years ago or 40. So she must not have been as old as the grannies, but she's still living. And she would come every time the doors are open. And we had a lot of church. You know, when Pastor announced, you know, we're going to have church at 6 o'clock tonight, some of you rolled your eyes on the inside. You didn't do it where he could see. <laughs> Pastor, it's going to kill me if I come to church on Sunday night. How many know you can't kill what's already dead? Whatever, whatever. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't mean to, I didn't come to insult people, but it's coming out that way today, all right? This little, this lady come to the altar, she'd kneel and pray at least half an hour before church, Sister Mary. And we, we knew her husband was an alcoholic. But I, I didn't grow up around alcoholism. The only way I learned about alcoholism was watching a show on television called Andy Griffith. I thought everybody was a nice drunk like Otis. <laughs> but this man would literally beat his wife every time she came to church. 
And she came every time the doors were open and she'd be down at the altar and that's who she was praying for and she'd get up off her knees and walk back to her seat and have the joy of the Lord because her joy was not in her husband. Her joy was in the Lord. That was her strength. She prayed 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. We moved away. 10 years later on a Monday morning about 7 a.m., she called my dad. She said, Brother Eccles, I couldn't wait any longer. Hope you're up. She said, but yesterday I was sitting on the second row and the pastor was given an invitation for people to be saved. She said, I was interceding for people to be saved. She said, when I looked up, people had come to the altar to get saved, but my husband had snuck in and sat on the back row. And when the invitation was given, he walked down that aisle and gave his heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. She said, I've been praying for him for 40 years. 40 years. She said, guess what, Brother Eccles? He came back on Sunday night. How many of those saved people come back on Sunday night? I'm trying to guilt you a little bit here, all right? Because guilt works good with Pentecostals and Catholics. So whichever you are, we'll work it, all right? He came back to church on Sunday night and he got filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues. She said, Brother Eccles, I don't even know what to do. It's weird at the house. It's like living, it's like living with another man. I'm going to tell you, some of you are sick of living with the one you got. Get him saved and filled with the Holy Ghost. It'll be like living with another man and it will be legal. <laughs> Forty years. See, today in most pulpits, you know, your husband beats you, kick him out after four days of that and send him to jail. The only thing I believe he needed to go, you know, a guy that beats his wife, I say, because I'm not God. God is not a man. Because I'm not God, I say, a guy like that deserves hell. Wow, you don't have much mercy. I'm a man. God is not a man. His mercy endures forever. The only thing that kept that man out of a devil's hell that he deserved was that woman's prayer. I'm gonna tell you, some of you got some children. Some of you got some family. They don't deserve to go to heaven. You know what they've done. You know all the things they've done. But I'm gonna tell you something. Neither did you when nothing else could help. Love lifted you. We got to keep praying because passion will cause you to pray unlike others. Romans chapter 9, verse 1, 2, and 3. I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart for I could wish that myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Paul says, I wish that I were a curse from Christ for my relatives, my friends, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. What would cause a man to say something like that? Passion will cause you to care more about others than you care about yourself. Passion will cause you to care more about others than you care about yourself. This is the man that said uh, uh, in Philippians, he said uh, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. He knew that when you know him, it brings passion. This is the man that said that my prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Listen, passion will cause you to care more about others than you care about yourself. I don't know if you realize this. You don't know me, but I, I love Muslim people. And I'm going to say it like Marilyn Hickey. M Muslim people love me. I preached a lot in Muslim nations. 
And I'm going to tell you something. Why do I love them? Because God loves them. But you know what? I hate the Muslim religion. But I love Muslim people. It's not willing for people to perish. Matter of fact, in August, I was supposed to be in Pakistan, but things didn't work out very good. This, the, the devil is a liar. That's all I got to say. They keep opening, closing, opening, closing. But I'm going to tell you, it's going to happen pretty quick. But I had preached in Pakistan many, many times. I've seen more than 150,000 people come to Jesus in Pakistan. One afternoon, we had over 300 leaders filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost in, in Pakistan. It was a great day. Not my greatest day, but a good day. Very good day. I loved it. But I'm going to tell you something. I'm flying in there to go to a, a crusade on the border of Afghanistan, Quetta. Quetta is right there on the border, and there's a pastor there that has an Urdu name, but I gave him an English name because I don't speak Urdu any better than you do. So I call him Pastor Wilson. When I get to the airport, he's supposed to pick me up. Now, he's the one that we send the money to to rent the soccer stadium. He's the one that we send the money to, to get the sound equipment, do all the advertising. He's our front man. When I get there, he's not there, but there's some other preachers that I know that are there holding up a sign with my name on it. And when I see him, I was happy, but I said, where's Pastor Wilson? They say very nonchalantly, he is in jail. I'm thinking, what terrible crime did he commit? They said, well, he baptized a Muslim in water that's punishable by death in our country. Folks, we can't let the government take over. Just thought I'd mention that. That's what happens when you let the government have too much control. We have freedom of religion. That's why down the street you have a false cult and we don't hate them because this is America. Some of you are going, what are you talking about? You're not driven by it? Just leave it alone. You got it. Yeah. So, they say he's in jail. It's punishable by death if they want. We don't know what's happened to him, so we all join together right there at the airport and pray that he's released. We go on with the crusade. One night, two night, third night, I walk up on the platform, and Pastor Wilson's sitting on a chair on the back of the platform, and he doesn't look very good. I'll go over there, and I hug his neck. I say, what happened? He said, well, they finally beat me and told me never to baptize a Muslim again. But he points his finger at me and he says, but I must be about my father's business, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. It's better to obey God than man. Hmm. We got people who won't come to church. God said, forsake not. I said, Pastor Wilson, how many times have you been put in jail for baptizing Muslims? He said, after 20 times, I quit counting. Here's a man, I've ate meals in his house. He's got a beautiful wife. He's got lovely children. What would cause a man to risk his life 
and his family's future to baptize Muslims, I come up with one thing. Passion will cause you to care more about others than you care about yourself. Let me close up with this, all right? First Kings, First Kings chapter 18. Didn't say I'm done. You know, sometimes churches, everybody runs to the platform when I say that. And that's just giving me a little time, all right? First Kings 18, verse 41. And Elijah said unto Ahab, Get thee up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of abundance of rain. We're still talking about passion. Elijah says, after three and a half years, it's not rain, but he says, I hear the sound of abundance of rain. Nobody else is hearing anything, but passion will make you hear what others cannot. He sends the servant out six times with a report, nothing, I don't see anything, I don't see anything. Seven times, he said, well, I see a little something. I see a cloud like the size of a man's hand. It meant nothing to the servant, but to the man of God, he outrun horses for 26 miles. Passion will make you hear different, passion will make you see different, and passion will make you run different. See, some of you got some issues going on in your family. And everybody looks at you. They know the trouble you have. They know the issues you have. They know what the doctor said. They know what the bank said. They know what they said at work. And yet you are still praising God, blessing him. And they don't understand what's going on. And they see that little cloud over your head. That means nothing to them. But to you and I, we know that that cloud is anointed. And the anointing destroys the yoke of bondage today. My dad calls me every Sunday and prays for me. On Sundays, we don't talk that much, okay? Sundays, we're busy. He just calls and prays. And if sometimes if it's messed up a little bit, he'll leave a message and pray. All right? But I'm going to tell you, he called me sometime back, and he started talking. I'm like, I'm looking at my wife. I'm kind of running late, Dad, you know. And he's telling me a story that, I'm thinking, maybe he's getting senile because I can tell this story better than him. He's talking about getting saved, but he, he said, your aunt and uncle are at my house. They surprised us. And he begins talking about how he got saved. He was 18 years old. He was the middleweight Golden Glove champion of Ohio. Boxing. And uh, he lived right next door to a church called Emmanuel. Somebody from that church invited him to the service. He went to church and he went to Sunday school and the Sunday school teacher was the pastor's wife. He got in an argument with the pastor's wife because she said, you must be born again. He went into service that morning. The pastor preached on the coming Lord, the rapture of the church. He said he was under extreme conviction but didn't go to the altar. He didn't go. Although other people went, he didn't go. But he had a date that afternoon with a girl and he, he wouldn't uh, uh, drive the car over 25 miles an hour because he's afraid he might die before he's ready to meet the Lord. Conviction's a good thing. We act like it's horrible, but I'm going to tell you, thank God for conviction. He cut the date short is what he's telling me. And I'm still thinking, why is he telling me this? And you might be thinking, but it'll make sense in a second. He said, I cut the date short, went back to church that night. 
And that night there was a woman evangelist preaching at Emmanuel. And she preached on the mark of the beast, 666. And what happens if you miss the rapture? He said that night he ran to the altar. One of his classmates, it was a German Assemblies of God church, okay, Emmanuel. One of his classmates went to the same altar, Johnny Smitsmotson. They're in the same class in high school. He's telling me this, and I'm still wondering why. He said, Doug, I went to that altar, and I got saved. He said, when I got up from the altar, I walked over to the pastor. He said, now that I'm saved, what do I do? The pastor said, son, fast and pray until you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. My dad didn't even know what fast and pray meant. He had to ask. He said for the next two weeks, he began to fast. He heard about a revival in Detroit, Michigan, where the Winans have church now in that building, but it's been changed. Bethesda was having a revival there. He hitchhiked to that revival. And when he got to that revival on a Thursday afternoon, walked through the doors uh, at a two o'clock service, he began to speak in tongues as the Spirit of God gave him utterance. He hitchhiked back to church. Emmanuel went to his pastor, Brother Jensen. He said, now I'm saved and filled with the Holy Ghost. Now what do I do? Now that's different than people now. We get saved and filled with the Holy Ghost. We want to tell the pastor what to do. You should have waved a hanky right there. See, sometimes I'm anointed, sometimes I'm metal, and because I'm a preacher's kid, I don't know when they're, sometimes they're the same. All right. <laughs> he went back to the pastor. The pastor said, fast and pray some more, son. In two weeks, you're going to hold us revival. My dad said, don't you think I should go to Bible school or something? He said, you're, there's time for that. You're going to do that. He said, but you're going to preach us a revival. See, that pastor had some smarts. He knew my dad had a following among the teenagers in that city because of being Golden Glove champion. And he, he said, what do I say? He said, well, if I were you, son, I'd get my nose in that Bible and I'd begin to pray and just tell him what the Lord has done for you. He said he began to preach that revival. He swung his arms like he was fighting the devil. He'd read a scripture and just tell what the Lord had done for him. In that revival, over 150 teenagers gave their heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I am a product of his ministry, and there's hundreds of us around the world preaching because of what he did and what he does. But listen, I'm still wondering why my dad's telling me that story. I could have quoted it better than him. He said, your aunt and uncle are here. You know your uncle... He's in law enforcement. He, he's a sheriff in the town, so he knows everybody. He's been there forever, 50 years or more. He knows everybody. He said, one of, your, he said, one of my classmates died this week, Johnny Smitsmotson. They went to the same altar the same day at the same church with the same preacher. My uncle said that Johnny Smitsmotson died the town drunk. Same altar, same church, same pulpit, same preacher, same day, different results. My dad said he saw Johnny at a class reunion 20-some years later. He said, Johnny, what happened to you at Emmanuel Assembly of God? He said, preacher, you get out of my face, you're bugging me. 
I want to tell you something. There's a price to pay when you lose your passion. Am I going to say to you that you'll become the town drunk? Well, it's possible, but more likely the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Passion. See, we think, oh, I can get by, I can get by, but I'm going to tell you there's a price to pay when you lose your passion.